Warning, if the profanity is the part of the show that offends you, that's pretty fucked up. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by What's Left of the First Amendment. What's Left of the First Amendment? No, seriously, I'm asking. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hi, this is Brian from West Virginia, and I just wanted to say I am so, so sorry for Joe Manchin, y'all. Please, really, I wish I could do something about him. But I guess if this state's population proves anything, it is a fact that we did evolve from filthy, dirty, monkey people. Thursday. It's June 30th. And fucking he fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah, I'm no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Samuel Alito's New Jersey. How dare you? And over Michigan and Waycross, Georgia. This is the Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, we talk about the fucking stupid fucking Roe versus Wade fucking fuck. Supreme Court also gets it wrong with literally everything else they did. Yep. Yep, and Andrew Torres will be here to fill in the blanks between Eli's fucks. But first, the diatribe. It's always been bad. We started this show because it was bad, and it's steadily gotten worse nearly every year since. For a decade, I've had to come on and craft these progressively more terrified, look how bad it's gotten messages. And, and we're to the point now where I'm like, I'm worried I'm going to reach my rhetorical limit. The bad news is going to outpace my ability to articulate how bad it is. How can I distinguish this new low from all the absolutely abyssal depths that we've reached before? It's obviously a question I've been wrestling with a lot this week. So here's what I came up with. As bad as it's gotten through the entire Trump administration, through Trinity Lutheran, through Espinoza, through all the incremental steps towards dismantling Roe, through all the foreshadowing about the court's ravenous desire to abolish the lemon test, through all the MAGA rallies, through the increasingly fascistic oratory, through the attempted coup by Christian terrorists on January 6th. I have never been afraid that it might be illegal for us to do this show in the near future. But given the extremism that we're seeing from the Supreme Pontificate of U.S. courts, that is no longer the case. I had that fear this week. I mean, we're obviously going to talk about the overturning of Roe and the return of teacher-led prayer to school more on the show. I, we're going to talk about it for pretty much this whole episode, and I'm sure many more to come. But let's take a second to acknowledge that the legal theories that they just upended to make room for their extreme views on abortion and Christian privilege are the exact same ones that protect us from blasphemy laws. Not, not that it really matters. I, I think it's pretty clear that they've all but abandoned the pretext of coherent judicial philosophy. The law of the land now is whatever the Christo-fascists want using whatever fabricated bullshit of a justification we feel like. Now, now let me clarify my concerns here, right? Because it's not like 
I need my right to tell Jesus to eat a dick more than a pregnant person needs the right to bodily autonomy. I'm not ranking the rights here, but regardless of how it affects your employment, your proximity to blasphemy laws is a pretty damn handy metric of how deep into theocracy we've plunged. And make no mistake, that's what we're measuring now. It's not enough to talk about how close we are to theocracy. Christians have a profoundly different set of rights than non-Christians at this point. Laws are interpreted through the lens of Christian belief more so than legal precedent. The government coffers directly fund religious indoctrination. We are already a theocracy. Now it's just a question of how far down that hole are we and how long it'll take to dig our way back out. And that actually makes for a really useful analogy, the idea that this is like a pit that we've fallen into, or sorry, a pit into which we are still falling. The, the rate of descent may have slowed a bit when we got Trump out of office, but at best we've traded free fall for a dangerously steep grade. We're still stumbling down at breakneck speed, no matter how quickly we manage to arrest our fall from here. And it's too late to save everyone. You know, people are literally going to die because of it, regardless of how hyperbolic Brett Kavanaugh tried to make that warning sound in his confirmation tantrum. Anyway, eventually we're going to reach the bottom of this thing, and then we have to figure out the way out. Now, obviously, the people who put us here, they're not going to be any help at all, but a lot of our allies probably won't be much help either. You know, on the one side, you'll have the naive optimists that think we're on a bungee cord and the institutional momentum is going to spring us back into balance any second now. And on the other side, you're going to have the jaded pessimists who tried flapping their arms a half dozen times on the way down, and they've already given up. And honestly, when we finally roll to a stop at whatever unfathomable depth we wind up in and look back up those sheer walls, I feel like a lot more people are going to volunteer for that latter group. Still more will propose variations of the arm flapping technique. Others are going to try to scale the wall directly. And yes, a few of them might make it if they have extraordinary resources, but the rest of them will just tumble back to the valley floor with us. The sad fact, though, is that if we ever want to lift everybody back out of this hole, it's going to take a long time and we're going to have to move a lot of earth. We're going to have to dig a ramp along the sides of these walls with a gradual enough grade that we don't have to leave anyone behind or we will have failed. And that's a daunting fucking task, right? It can't be done quickly and any promises that it can just serve to undermine the realistic effort. Look, we didn't get here all at once. Yeah, I know it seems like we did. It's, it's easy to look back over recent history and think this is all stems from the 2016 election. And while that no doubt accelerated and exacerbated the problem, it's not like we had trouble finding headlines to talk about before the Trump administration. Right. This effort has been underway for decades. We got where we are through sustained, coordinated political action by the opposition that's been moving in the same basic direction since before I was fucking born. The only way out is through the same sustained effort in the opposite direction. And I'll be the first to admit that's harder for us than it is for them. They come from a conformist culture and we're mostly drawn from the ranks of the people who rejected that conformist culture. We're, we're worse at cohesive, sustained effort that forces us to remain committed even when we're not making progress. That very effort has aptly been likened to herding cats, but at a certain point, that actually becomes our strength. It turns out it's pretty easy to herd cats towards the fucking food bowl or the can of treats. What's hard is to get a bunch of cats to go in a direction they don't want to go, which coincidentally is exactly what the theocrats are trying to do right now. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the secular legislative purpose and neutral intent to my excessive entanglement, Heath Edright and Eli Bostic. <laughs> Fellas, 
What the fuck do you make when life takes away your lemons? Uh, Kurtzman's? I don't know. No, you you know what you do? You make a big underground cartel. If anybody needs any lemons, the cartel is going to find a way to get you those lemons, regardless of your state law about lemons. How about that? There you go. Like camping or whatever. Guys, guys, whoa. I know we have fun here on the podcast, but you're suggesting crimes and... We would never suggest doing crimes on this podcast. I suggested lemons. Well, that was a fun little role reversal. It was, right? Yeah. Kill me. And it's over. Cool. Perfect. We're back. (laughs) In our lead story tonight, America is a full-blown theocracy. We dress it up with other words so that we're technically something else, but in practice, that's what we are. That's what we have been for a while to some extent, and now even worse. Based on Very directly, their Christian beliefs, six conservative members of the Supreme Court just gave each state the right to take away the freedom of personal body control from their entire uterus-having population. And everything in my brain right now about what to say next and what to do next is, I'm pretty sure, illegal. So uh, I'm going to have to take a pause right here for a second. Okay, well, I'll, I'll at least say this one for you then. You should have voted for Hillary fucking Clinton. It's embarrassing. Yeah. I, and I mean, to be fair to Heath, saying something like aidaccess.org provides abortion bills to all 50 states is kind of illegal now. So I feel like we're going to need a new metric between, you know, illegal and the stuff I say that Morgan has to beep. You right. Know? Just yeah. Uh-huh. That with lemons. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all feeling extreme rage, obviously. In fact, if you're not feeling that, Here's what you want to do. You probably want to pull out your headphones at this point and um, go fuck yourself in the yeah. face with your headphones. <laughs> this show is not for you. Don't listen to the show anymore. It's not yours. So rage, uh, it's not usually a pleasant thing, but I'm hoping it can be useful here. That's true. Uh, Noah can actually create it and burn it for sustenance. It's kind of like fury <laughs> photosynthesis and he doesn't have to eat. It's impressive. It's true. I once saw him de-age by 11 years because the guy in front of him turned right from the left lane. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's useful. It's a pretty advanced maneuver, the one Noah does. But I'm hoping we can all do our own version of that right now and harness the rage to some extent. So yes, we're going to lean right into it. And we're going to talk about the reactions from the Christian right to the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. This is what the enemy was saying this week. We're going to use that rage. I'll start with an obvious one. In his concurring opinion, Clarence Thomas explained that it doesn't stop here. And he described the exact slope of our descent into further theocracy. In his mind, that would include a review of other cases that rely on the same rationale as Roe, like Griswold and Obergefell and Lawrence. He wants to revisit the idea that we have the right to use contraception and the right to a same-sex marriage and the right to have any other kind of sex than the Christian kind he's used to called one penis, one vagina, fake orgasm from my traitor wife. (laughs) He wants to maybe bring back Sodomy laws. I yeah. can't repeat that one. That was one of the things I just Sodomy mentioned. laws and, and, and Griswold. A, a case yeah. about a married couple's right to contraception. Right? He wants to take away abortion and condoms at the same goddamn time. Yeah. Clarence, look, we get it. If you make your way to Loving versus Virginia, you don't have to be married to Puma from Lion King anymore. But this is a little <laughs> extreme, my dude. Just get a divorce, <sighs> guy. Just get a divorce. Yeah. 
We also heard from GOP congressional candidate Laura Loomer. She found a way to get multiple bigotries into one single post on the day of the Dobbs ruling. She said, quote, forget about the race baiting holiday in quotes of Juneteenth. What? Today. Yeah. I, okay, that's one. Th- that occurred to her on the day of the Dobbs <laughs> ruling. Let's shit on Juneteenth. Yeah. Forget about the race baiting quote holiday of Juneteenth. Today should be a national holiday instead. That's two. And I can't think of a better way to end the degeneracy of Pride Month three than by overturning Roe v. Wade. Four. End quote. She wants oh. a holiday for that now. Wow. Yeah, no, if one side gets a holiday to celebrate gaining race, the other side should get one about losing rights. Both sides are the same. Tie. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Fair. Oh, don't worry, Fuck. Laura Loomer. People are definitely going to remember this day, just probably not in the fun way I think you're hoping for. Yeah. No. Totally different type of fireworks. <laughs> <sighs> we also heard from GOP Senator Susan Collins. Fuck her. <laughs> who claims to be pro-choice yet voted to confirm Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. She said, approximate quote, Oh my God, how could this have ever happened? I thought for sure that JV basketball player from Yale who got accused of rape during his hearings, and I watched that accusation happen. Uh, I thought he was telling me the truth about a building wrong. I don't know what happened. This is so weird. Yeah. End approximate quote. Yeah, no, we actually have um, audio of that quote. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. (laughs) Yeah, so that's just a handful of examples of what the enemy was saying. But you can be sure that all the rest of them were celebrating, too. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, experienced happiness. And that is unacceptable Uh, to me. I know mm -hmm. she was happy this week. Fuck that. You hate it. So now it's time to harness the rage. We're already seeing protests all over the country. Get involved. Do it angrily. Help out with fundraising for groups that are going to help the victims of this ruling. Yes. Also, let's remember, this is important. Supreme Court justices and Republicans who helped make this happen, they all live somewhere, like (laughs) in the United States generally. And Mm -hmm. they probably enjoy doing things like Going out in public once in a while. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, of course, violence is illegal. I feel like I should add that right now. But I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of other stuff that's technically allowed. Like, just for example, if Samuel Alito goes to your restaurant and you hand him his entree and you say, hey, Samuel, don't worry. I did not put human shit in your food. I definitely did not do that. That's legal. You're allowed to say that. Probably. Especially if you're telling the truth. I think you could say it either way. The saying's not illegal. Freedom of speech, yeah. 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 It's just a fun starting point for you. That was the first one I thought. Public life needs to be unbearable for everybody involved in this. Yeah. Right. You would be amazed how loudly you're legally allowed to sing in public. It's pretty crazy (laughs) that's an excellent one and also they're probably illegal things you should do anyways like talking about aidaccess.org laws aren't real everybody it's just important to remember just moving around lemons and camping just words yep okay here's (laughs) one other useful reaction to all the evil um vote against it yes and do that intelligently you know, if I'm, I'm talking, you know who I'm talking to. Idiots who didn't vote intelligently. 
You need to vote intelligently in a way that helps prevent more of what just happened and maybe helps fix it. Now, okay, I will admit I was talking to the accelerationists. The accelerationism is going great. I, I do have to admit we are definitely accelerating toward evil. That's the plan. According to the theory, eventually uh, that means good stuff after the accelerating towards evil more a lot. And uh, you know what? I will admit this too. The GOP is totally fallen for the ruse. They think they just, you know, won a bunch of elections within the voting system that we have and then installed a theocratic judiciary. Like they think they won success. Ah, but just remember in the meantime, while we're doing all that awesome accelerating, we got four years of Donald Trump and everything that that meant. We got giant tax cuts for rich people, for example. We got three zealots on the Supreme Court nominated by Trump. We got a giant mishandling of a pandemic by science deniers. A whole bunch of death because of that. We got an insurrection of domestic terrorists trying to overthrow American democracy because of that. And now more than half the population of the country just had the right to their own bodies threatened. We we did get, you know, the radically progressive Joe Biden because of, you know, that awesome <laughs> message you sent. But still, a uh, pretty big trade-off. Remind me what your side of that was again, you fucking idiots. <sighs> and in more bad news. Sorry, yeah. I feel like I should have, yeah. but, you know, you tuned in no. this week. You know how it's going to be. As we've been predicting for weeks now, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Christian theocracy again this week in the case of Kennedy versus Bremerton about a Christian football coach who wanted to pray at midfield after games and they didn't even bother to not tell blatant lies about the facts of the case because... Let's face it. I mean, after you overturn Roe versus Wade and get away with it, the rest of your court opinions could basically read, bring me the earth seed. <laughs> yeah. No, true story. <laughs> One of the hardest aspects of writing for this week's show was finding enough synonyms for terrifying. Mm -hmm. I kept saying, oh, I, can't, I can't keep calling them terrifying. <laughs> Lemons. No, that's Spice it up. Yeah. So, yeah, as Hammett Meta over at the Friendly Atheist blog has pointed out, the first line of the majority opinion written by Neil Gorsuch contains two blatantly obvious lies yep. and then the opinion gets worse from there so here's the first line quote joseph kennedy lost his job as a high school football coach because he knelt at midfield after games to offer a quiet prayer of thanks end quote except no he nope. didn't no they just chose not to renew his contract and he didn't bother to reapply and as justice sotomayor pointed out with a fucking Photograph in her descent. Amazing. Post. Oh, he literally gathered both teams for a publicly led prayer to Jesus Christ of Nazareth at the end of the fucking game. That is not quietly kneeling for shit. There's a photo. Are they not allowed to show each other the photos before they write their big fancy? Are we in such an alternate reality that they think their words literally transform the facts or would like with magic? It has to be that one. It literally has to be that. Yeah. Right? No, as, as scary as the facts are in this case, it's far scarier that the facts don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It became such a huge spectacle, this shit Kennedy was doing, that local parents actually knocked over members of the marching band from the school when those parents stampeded from the bleachers to the middle of the field at the end of the game for Kennedy's so-called Quiet prayer by himself. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 
I honestly have no idea what the implications of this are, right? Like, so on its face, it overturns state church separations like the lemon test and the fucking establishment clause. But who the fuck knows? I mean, we have literally never had a Supreme Court before just randomly and without bothering to try to explain themselves, dictate what America would be. And as Heath said, right, nobody, no fucking buddy has a plan to do shit about it. Right. I need to be clear here. There's no revolution. There's no one trick. Joe Biden isn't going to pack the court or executive order or anything like that. None of that is happening. And if someone is telling you it is, they're lying to you. They're lying to you and they're selling you a product. Right. The plan is to vote the Democrats into a place of such overwhelming majority power that even the fucking Nazi accommodators like Joe Manchin can't stop the progress. That's it. That's what we can do. So do that, please. Again, I don't want to turn this whole episode into a big ranty yell at people about how they should vote. But I do. Please, I do. With sugar. I want to shame you for voting shittily. You had shameful voting. You should be shamed. All right. One, one third of the pot. And look, there's another third of the pot that's going to cut whatever he doesn't like. So we're saved either way. But plenty, please, with sugar on top, do not do that and do everything in your power to lower the volume on the voices who tell people not to vote in the coming election. It is literally our only hope. And if we have learned anything from Star Wars, when something is your only hope, doesn't always work out great for your planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and finally tonight, in coming to their census news, in an effort to balance out the profusion of really shitty news over the past week or so, I've got a headline for you that includes the words Christianity plummets. Ooh. Yeah. No, hey. it gets better. It's a headline from the Sydney Morning Herald that talks about the results of their 2021 census and sums up the pertinent information thusly, quote, abandoning God, colon, Christianity plummets as non-religious surges in census, end quote. So, you know, in the competition for Noah's backup country, Australia is now just a recreational marijuana legalization away from overtaking Canada for first place. That's right. It's on an island. Everyone on it is exactly two points more attractive than their American counterpoint. And there's wilderness for Noah to wander into. It's perfect. There you go. Is what we're saying. It's okay. Perfect. Just to be clear, though, the Newsweek is so bad. Christianity plummets is good, but it happened literally as far away as possible on Earth. <laughs> yeah, it's good, though. Glad for the yeah. Australians. Now, of course, this is the continuation of a demographic trend that's been leaping out of the census data for a decade, well, for two decades now, and it ramped up considerably thanks to a concerted effort led by the Atheist Foundation of Australia to get the census form changed so that no religion was a more clearly visible option. Okay, what did it say before they changed it? What did the form look like? They were hiding, like, all right, if you want to be an atheist, you just check the box here, it's very small. Uh, then you head to the, the motor vehicle bureau. You wait in the line there. Nope, not that one. The longer one. You wait in the longer of those <laughs> lines and you fill out the application and submit your essay. And then you're all, yeah, wait, it was- no, it's a different application. Go back to the original <laughs> line. Do that. Second line essay. You're an atheist. What, like they hit it? Yeah. No, it was in the disused lavatory with a beware of leopard sign outside. <laughs> <laughs> So this was this was coupled by a sustained campaign to tell non-religious Australians how important it was that they be properly counted. And holy shit, did it work? As of 2021, a record 39 percent of Australians say they have no religion. 
that makes him the second largest religious demographic in the country after Christians who, for the first time in the 2021 census, represent less than half the population. They're down to just 44 percent. Yeah. And as usual, that number includes a bunch of people who are like, yeah, I'm fucking Christian, I guess. I don't know. Yes. All right. Keep in mind, whenever you see those numbers, that includes the idiot on your Facebook who's like, Jesus was a socialist and he hated the new season of the boys or whatever it is. I think he (laughs) thinks this week like that's so much lower. So, yeah, right. Yeah, no. So the non-religious damn near outnumber the Christians down under at this point. And if you look at the data over time, it's pretty clear that virtually all the growth in the no religion category is coming from Christian apostasy. Right. Like Australia does a census every five years between 2016 and 2021. The no religion category rose by a whopping nine percent. The number identifying as Christian dropped by a corresponding eight percent. And the the 2016 census represented an 8% rise in non-religious and a nine-point drop in Christianity. So pretty easy math to project out. And if you do, non-religious has the plurality in the next census and the majority in the one after that. So, you know, as long as they don't have a terrible and inhumane track record when it comes to refugees, we might just be okay, guys. Yikes. (laughs) And now that plan G and a half is taking shape, I suppose we can close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. And when we come back, Andrew will be here because his show doesn't have the explicit language tag on it. In a world that seems to be more and more a dystopian hellscape by the second. The Supreme Court just made smiling with your eyes illegal. And media that doesn't quite seem to be able to get the point. I'm Rachel Maddow. And today, I'll be dabbing a TikTok. Fact or cap? Stay tuned. One podcast of us will gather in New Jersey for a three-hour live stream of pure, unbridled fun. The patron-only Pajama Party live stream, Saturday, July 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. <coughs> there will be fun. There will be games. And Marsh flew across an entire ocean just for an accent extravaganza. Saturday, July 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern, because, damn it, we need something to look forward to next week, too. And the Supreme Court just made looking forward to things illegal. Yeah, that tracks. As was clear from our selection of headlines this week, it's been a nauseating week to be a court watcher. This has been a historically bad week for the wall of separation between the court's advocacy for publicly funding religious indoctrination from Carson uh, to the return of faculty-led prayers in public schools from Kennedy. But, of course, it'll mostly be remembered as the week that the nearly 50 years of reproductive rights under Roe were abolished by judicial activists with the thinnest thread of bullshit justification. And to talk more about that last one, we're happy to welcome back our resident court watcher, Andrew Torres. Andrew, welcome back, sir. Uh, well, thanks, Noah. Um, you know, we have this running gag, uh, on opening arguments. Whenever we have Andrew Seidel on, it's going to be to discuss what horrible thing the Supreme Court has done lately. So I'm glad I get to be your Andrew Seidel. Is, there you I guess, go. That's what I'm saying. There we go. <laughs> You're the Andrew to my Andrew. Yeah. So first things first. This decision obviously didn't come as a surprise. A draft of the decision leaked in early May and gave us a bit of forewarning. So, How does this final decision compare to the sneak peek that we got? Okay, so 
with the following caveats, right? Which was we got only the leaked majority opinion. We didn't get to see the monstrous Thomas concurrence Mm -hmm. with the exception of a couple of sections responding to the dissent and to the Roberts concurrence. And those basically amount to, well, you're not giving sufficient weight to what if the state is full of pro-lifers. I'm not making that up. Right. And correcting typos. It's the same opinion. It's exactly word for word identical to the leaked draft. They didn't even remove. I I thought there was some chance that after it became public knowledge that Alito cited extensively from Sir Matthew Hale, a 17th century idiot who didn't think women had rights as part of the justification of his opinion that maybe he might remove those references. Uh, Nope. Left it in. Wow. All right. So I guess, you know, obviously, Many of us already know from the, from the leak, but for those who don't, remind us, how, how bad is it? Uh, so bad enough that I'm on here talking about Dobbs and not, you know, Bremerton or Carson, yeah. the, the two cases you mentioned in the intro. It's bad enough that Brett fucking Kavanaugh felt the need to write a concurrence that basically says, look, I know Clarence Thomas told you what we're going to do, and that's take away your right to contraceptives, gay marriage, and butt stuff. But, you know, we haven't done that yet, so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. Okay, so let's let's get specific here. Can states now ban morning-after pills or just abortion clinics? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you didn't have the right to an abortion pill in 1319, <laughs> why, why would you think you'd get one 700 years later? So this actually, this is going to be one of two potential battlegrounds, right? Whether the federal government can do something when states try to ban the outside importation of mifeprestone in connection with medication abortions. The argument that says the federal government can do something is to say that the Food and Drug Act granted the Department of Health and Human Services the right to make uniform regulations for the interstate shipment of approved drugs across state lines, right? And mifeprestone is one of those approved drugs, right? That seems to me to be a pretty strong argument. The argument to the contrary is that as this episode drops, today, right, Thursday is going to be the last day for opinions in the Supreme Court's term. And one of the cases they've held on to for a very, very long time after Dobbs, right? And you've seen sort of the strategic drops is a case called West Virginia versus the EPA. And my money is that the Supreme Court will completely overrule Chevron deference in that case. Wow. And so then the question of whether the FDA Act is granted, you know, gave Congress that authority will not be interpreted in light of how the Food and Drug Administration or the Department of Health and Human Services interprets that grant of authority, but will be in the hands of how Samuel Alito interprets that grant of authority. So, right. It could get worse. It probably will. Yeah. Well, that's been the theme of the week, hasn't it? All right. Another specific question. Can states make it illegal to travel out of state to get an abortion? Yep. And this is where the other battleground will be. And so Missouri already has example. And as I analyze this, I just want you to think about this for a second. These are our holding actions, right? Can we send pills through the mail for an unbelievably safe procedure? And can a state pass the Fugitive Woman Act and basically send a posse after anyone who gets pregnant and tries to escape their jurisdiction? Okay. So again, I want to tell you, I think the answer is probably no, right? And I think that that the intersection of the full faith and credit clause and also the right to travel between states probably forecloses on that being a, a Missouri law. 
But again, that depends on having a White House seeking to protect those rights rather than undermine them. And here I want to emphasize the day the Dobbs decision was handed down, President Biden promulgated two executive orders on exactly these two subject areas, right? Directing Javier Becerra, secretary of HHS, to do everything in the government's power to secure access via the mails to Mifeprestone and also stating that the federal government will intervene and defend any person who becomes pregnant and travels across state lines and is potentially subjected to criminal liability in their home state. So uh, again, you got somebody in your life, in your feed, whining that Biden hasn't done anything. That's nonsense, right? He can't do a lot, but you know, that's thanks to Joe Manchin, not, not him. Mm-hmm. And he has done the stuff that he can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people who think he's not doing enough are really overestimating the hand he was dealt. <laughs> yeah. So I also, and I just want to, I, you know, this is just kind of an odd one, but should people who really delete period tracking apps, is that a real thing? Oh God. I mean, I, Every fiber of my being wants to tell you, okay, this part is sheer paranoia. But like, then I look at the fact that Texas SB8 is still on the books, right? That places a $10,000 privately enforceable bounty in the form of a civil lawsuit on anyone that is collectible against anyone who aids and abets procuring an abortion. And so uh, I, it seems not likely to, but I, I can't I can't tell you that this is just paranoia and like maybe wow. that says as as much as as much as I could you know unbelievable yeah all right so so this decision claims that there's no right to abortion in the Constitution but that doesn't mean that Congress couldn't pass a law protecting that right mm-hmm so first of all is is there any real chance of that happening and secondly if they manage to do so do you think that this court might just strike it down? Uh, yeah, let's get to that. Okay. So the, the law actually is in final form. It has been tweaked over the past couple of years. Uh, it's called the Women's Health Protection Act. That, obviously, that's a misnomer. It, it, trans men and non-binary individuals can become pregnant, but that's the name of the act. It's been proposed at least five times. It has at least 49 Democrats who support it on the merits, including for the first time, Bob Casey Jr. from Pennsylvania, who identifies as pro-life and has voted against this exact same act in the past. Okay. And it would prohibit states from imposing a bunch of criteria, including prohibiting access to abortion at all prior to fetal viability. Okay. So. Good bill. We have at least 49 Democrats. By the way, the, the Casey thing, uh, just one more sort of occupied Democrats kind of idiocy that's going around. People who are saying, well, you know, Obama could have passed this when he had a super majority in 2009. No, he could not have. That 60 votes included Bob Casey, who voted against this bill. So mm-hmm. Obama had at most 59 and Uh, Yeah. So that's just anybody saying you should really be blaming Barack Obama instead of, you know, the guy who put three fifths of the Supreme Court that crafted this opinion. Yeah. Anyway, I'll step down from my soapbox now. (laughs) So I said 49 Democrats support it. We don't know if Joe Manchin supports the WHPA on the merits. We do know that after the draft opinion was leaked in Dobbs, Manchin did not favor lifting the filibuster to let it come to a vote. I 
don't know if he's changed his mind on that. I don't think I would hold my breath. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter if Manchin supports it on the merits because you don't need 50. You need 60 until we get some more Democratic senators in there. So the second part of your question was, could the court strike it down again a decade ago? That answer would have been obviously not right. Like abortion is very clearly interstate commerce. In fact, Many of the significant problems and legal issues that we face right now are individuals who are pregnant crossing the border to find a more favorable jurisdiction and overburdening that state's healthcare systems, right? So it, it, this is classic interstate commerce, classic area where you would want uniform regulations. And we've had two plus centuries of the Supreme Court being like, right, obviously the Congress can regulate here, but in 2012, a substantially more liberal version of this court declared that Obamacare was justifiable only as a tax and not as an exercise of interstate commerce. So in other words, that's the NFIB versus Sebelius decision. In, in other words, that Obamacare, that regulating health care did not count as interstate commerce. Jesus. So, you know, if yeah. the Supreme Court could say health care is an interstate commerce, I mean, they could say abortion is an interstate commerce, uh, even though, you know. It is. Right. All right. Well, God, Jesus, I hate that I have to ask this, but same question from the opposite direction. Could a federal law ban abortion nationwide? Yes. Unambiguously. And they could occupy the field. Now, if you have a state constitutional right enshrined in the Constitution that protects individual privacy and says, we recognize as a core constitutional right, the right to an abortion that probably puts you on the safe side. So you are going to see states scramble to do that. That is one of the things you can do politically. But even then, there's some sort of tricky preemption versus Ninth Amendment versus Tenth Amendment issues. So, yeah, if you don't think that's a real danger, <laughs> it's real danger. All right. So. Now, obviously, one of the many concerns stemming from this decision is that it undermines the foundation of a host of privacy-based decisions like Obergefell, Griswold, and Lawrence. And, of course, Thomas's concurring opinion states the desire to undermine those exact decisions explicitly. So, two-part question. One, how much danger are those decisions in? And two, what would it mean if we lost them? So... To answer the first part, Thomas's concurrence was designed to say to right wing judicial activists who bring who tee up cases, right? Like outfits like the Liberty Institute and the Alliance Defending Freedom. Hey, bring these cases in front of us and we will overturn <laughs> Ergafel, Griswold and Lawrence. And then we'll get to the mission of looking at every other substantive due process case. That's I'm quoting Clarence Thomas there, right? Like that's not, you know, your wacky lawyer on being extreme. That's what he said for them to do. So those cases will get teed up for the next term. And look, from an analytical perspective, there's no way to sign on to the Dobbs opinion and still think that the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments actually protect substantive due process rights and or a personal right of privacy. That like they just don't. And so, you know, Clarence Thomas is saying the quiet part out loud, but he's he's not wrong if if you follow yeah. those decisions. So they are, I think the the question is how this court will unwind them, not when. <laughs> Yeah, what does it mean? It means the exact characterization that is being used around 
the Dobbs decision, which is, well, now it just kind of goes back to the states. That's right. Now it will go back to the states to determine if you can be married to the person you love, if you can engage in intimate personal contact with the person you love. That's the butt stuff. If you can plan on whether to have a a pregnancy or not. And yes, Griswold versus Connecticut, you might, you might be thinking, well, you know, nobody is, uh, is actually interested in outlawing contraceptives. If that's the case, then you missed a half dozen cases in the past decade challenging the contraceptive mandate in the Affordable Care Act. Right. They a 100% are coming for contraceptives and sooner than you think. And anybody who said that that's hysteria isn't paying attention. So, Oh, okay. Now, I've, those are the three that I that I keep hearing: Obergefell, Griswold, and Lawrence. Are there any other important decisions that might be in danger if you follow this line of thinking? <laughs> yeah, Loving versus Virginia on interracial really? marriage. I mean, you know, uh, maybe we'll get Clarence Thomas in a five-four dissent on that one. Uh, maybe. I, I just gave a talk to the Houston Oasis uh, on this, and and it cannot be overstated. The problem with Dobbs is not just that it gets rid of a fifty-year right that women that people who become pregnant in America have had for half a century. It is that it radically transforms the Supreme Court's analysis of what rights even mean. And so by focusing on the historical test, right? So now the test that's explicit that has been written into law by Samuel Alito is, is that unless the Constitution specifically says a word, Right. And it doesn't say abortion. I mean, this used to be the kind of thing I would mock like atheist mm-hmm. podcasters for making because it's such a bad argument. But, you know, guess they were prescient than I wasn't because now it's the law of the fucking land because it doesn't say abortion. Right. It doesn't say marriage in the Constitution. Doesn't say butt stuff in the Constitution. Doesn't say contraception. Right. Doesn't say a lot of things that are pretty important to us. That then becomes an implicit right. And the test for whether an implicit right is really in the Constitution is, is it deeply rooted in our nation's history and tradition as of the enactment of the thing that you think it's found in, the 14th Amendment being ratified in 1868? So unpack what that means for a second, okay? It means two things. Number one, in order to show you're entitled to a right, you have to show that it's the kind of thing that we have consistently protected throughout history. Well, how fucking stupid is that? If it's a thing that's been protected consistently throughout history, you don't need it as a right. You're not in any danger of losing it. The Supreme Court's historical justification, the reason it exists as a counter-majoritarian institution is, yeah, sometimes people get screwed over in the democratic process. It it should literally be the exact opposite, right? It should be, this should be something that is not well entrenched in our history because you've been the subject of constant efforts by the majority to step on your basic individual liberties. The second aspect, when you say deeply rooted in our nation's history and traditions, and you recognize that the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, you are saying deeply rooted in cis, het, white, male, property owning history. Like you cannot invent the idea that the traditions and history and values of women or people of color or atheists matter at fucking all because they did not in 1868. They're not there. Like there were probably like three atheists in 1868, but they sure didn't write stuff down. Right. Like there won't be evidence to find to contribute to this history. So I cannot like I I hate being this this voice in saying 
the abortion stuff is really bad. And, you know, you're going to have Tom and Cecil on and we are working to do everything we can to, to support boots on the ground and really mitigate some of the impact of this. But as the law guy, the fact that this is radically gaslighting the country on 200 years of American history that dates back to Federalist number 10, that's hard for me. Yeah, no kidding. So is court packing a realistic solution? Uh, So here's something where I have done a 180 in six years. I think it shockingly so, right? Like I think- Look, we will have to organize and we will have to shock the world by not just defending vulnerable seats, right? Like Raphael Warnock's in in Georgia in the midterm elections. But if Democrats pick up three seats, and, and again, this is not impossible. This is not likely at this point, but it is not impossible. If you deliver 53 or 54 Democratic senators as a backlash to what the Supreme Court has done, then a no longer you don't have to you don't have to suck up to Joe Manchin anymore. Right. You have 48 hard votes in the Democratic Senate for some version of a partial lift of the filibuster. So let's get let's elect two more Democrats. We get 50 Democrats. You get a hard lift to pass basic voting reform. And then work from there, right? And Mm -hmm. so one of the things that I think super easy to explain, you understand the political consequences, but is, you know, what I would call the Judiciary Act of 2023. Every judge I know, you could call nothing but Republican federal district court judges, right? Who appointed you? Donald Trump. How overworked is your docket? Well, you could appoint two more judges and my docket would still be overbooked, right? You could double or triple the size of the federal judiciary. You could greatly increase and include within that increasing the the number of Supreme Court justices by an act of Congress. Is any of that likely? I, I don't know, man, but but that's what I'm going to try and do. Well, hey, look, re- realistic is a better is better than I was expecting. So, you know, likely, I you know, we can put likely way off in the future. If it's realistic, that's better than I was expecting to get. Okay, so important question. This is this comes from a listener, H. Enright. Uh, should you have <laughs> voted for Hillary Clinton? I, yes. And I want to I relay a positive note, right? So I have a bunch of different kind of skeletal outlines for various talks that I give. And I can, you know, I swap in things here and there. And one of the things that, I try and put in every single talk I give before an organization is a breakdown of the 2016 election, which shows that mathematically had Jill Stein voters in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin voted for Hillary Clinton, we would have had not Donald Trump as president. And that that's probably an outcome that Jill Stein voters would more rather have had. Right. And every time I make that point, I get angry and defensive Jill Stein voters who come up during the cross-examination period right, and say, well, you know, like, it's not my fault. And I'm like, hey, man, wasn't telling you that this election is your fault. Whose fault is it? The like tens of millions of racists who voted for Donald Trump. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying mathematically, strategically, you could have taken your vote. You could have exercised it this way and we would have had an outcome that you and I both would have preferred. Yep. And then, you know, and then we kind of go back and forth. I will tell you, I made that argument. I gave it in my speech. I waited to the, the Q&A period and not a single person gave the kind of 
defensive. It was huh. okay for me to vote for Jill Stein. So, I, you know, is that progress? I, I don't know. <laughs> I sure hope so. But that's, you know, I'll continue to beat that drum. I love that Heath beats that drum. I love that we beat that drum because, you know, Trump voters don't listen to this show. They don't listen to my show. Right. But Stein voters do. Yeah. And anything we can do to convince you, please, <laughs> you use your vote strategically, I want to continue to say. All right. So as you already mentioned, Tom and Cecil are going to be on in a minute to uh, talk about a fundraiser that you and I are both involved in. But aside from donating to relevant charities, is there anything meaningful that the listeners can do to mitigate this? Yeah. My approach to this is sort of both the top down and the bottom up, right? So the bottom up means what we're doing in connection with the fundraiser, which is partnering with supporting fundraising for boots on the ground, local organizations that meaningfully you know, get medication abortion to women in states that are looking to prohibit it, that meaningfully escort women across state lines, set up appointments, provide, pay for, increase access to reproductive freedom. And again, for, for all pregnant persons. That's the bottom up. And that look like, you know, I haven't slept in a week, you know, putting together all the foundation stuff. That's going to require a lot of work. The top down is not losing sight of the argument and not losing sight of how this interrelates through history. And so one of the last points I made in, in my Oasis talk with Houston is the Lochner era, the last time the Supreme Court was overrun by right-wing activists looking to strike down legislation that, uh, you know, all progressive legislation that they could find, ran from 1897 to 1937. Yeah. It ran for 40 years. And we're in year five of the Howler Monkeys running the asylum, you know, uh, to mix a metaphor there. So if you're thinking like, oh, one, one election, one vote, one outcome is going to fix this that uh, I, no right <laughs> i just can't tell you enough like you got to strap in you got you got to be prepared you know and you and i have talked about this uh <laughs> you know the the people who wrote in to you in 2016 and it was like well you you planning to retire the scathing atheist i mean you know kind of looks like we've won and everything's going to be mm -hmm. fine from here on out like you know yeah <laughs> turns out that that wasn't the case either so you know it's it's uh, we need to take a long view. Yeah. No, as I said in the diatribe, you know, we're, we're fighting against a, a force that's been concer a, a concerted effort aiming in the exact same direction since before either of us were born. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's no easy way out. Absolutely. All right. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate you coming on and helping us understand just how bad it is. Of course, if you want to hear more perpetually and necessarily depressing analysis from Andrew, be sure to check him out on Opening Arguments and Clean Up on IL-45, which you'll find linked to the show notes. Andrew, thank you again for your time, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Of course, as depressing as the news out of the court is, it's tempting to think that there's nothing you can do. Right. It's the curse of the activist. The moment when your involvement seems the most useless is also the moment where it's needed most urgently. And that's why I'm happy to welcome two more guests on tonight. Tom and Cecil, of course, are the hosts of Cognitive Dissonance, the co-hosts of Citation Needed, the authors of The Grand Unified Theory of Bullshit, and our partners in Bulgarity for Charity. Tom, Cecil, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks so much, Noah. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, man, I wish we could have you on for happier shit again. <laughs> I, I right? know, like, I don't even know how to like, <laughs> like I normally would come up. I'm so happy to be here. I'm yeah, but, real no. happy to yeah, be man. here. Right. It's fucking tragic. 
been a tragic fucking week. So it has. The decision to overturn Roe was all of 17 minutes old when you guys first contacted us trying to figure out what we could do to help. So uh, let, let me give you the easy question first. What prompted you to get so involved so quickly? You know, I just think we've been able to partner a number of times to raise funds and we've been successful in raising those funds. And Cecil and I, you know, we've we've had on our sort of back burner docket, we've been talking about on the show that, you know, when we get to episode 666, we're going to do an abortion fundraiser. That's an important, it's important to us. It's a subject that's important to us. It's it's meaningful to us. And we thought we would do something big for our 666th anniversary. But as soon as this happened and you knew it was going to happen, but you just felt the full fucking weight of the thing settle on you. Yeah. To me, it just became apparent that this cannot wait. I mean, lives literally are in the balance and we have to do everything we can do. And the, the one thing I know we're good at doing with this community is rallying everybody together to raise money for causes that are that are meaningful to this community. And so I think that's that's why we knew we had to act and we had to act very quickly. So, okay, so two-part question. What did you come up with and how can we help? Well, we the idea was really born from the same Save the Senate fundraiser that we had done. So we had done a, a real successful fundraiser for the Georgia Senate seats. That fundraiser was, you know, a multi-hour, multi-guest live stream, kind of pitting audiences against each other in a friendly rivalry to try to, you know, raise as much money as possible. But well, you say friendly because we won. Like, like it's only friendly because Heath was on the winning team. But yes, That's, <laughs> yeah, that is true. If Heath was on the, yeah, that, agreed. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be that. Yeah, it would come to blows. Sure. It may, it may have come to blows. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, we were real successful with that fundraiser. And so, you know, fairly immediately, I thought we should just do the same thing. We can get it up and running fairly swiftly. And again, I just, I felt real strongly that, Time is of the essence. There are, I believe, as of this morning, nine states where abortion is outlawed or severely curtailed, 12 more, which are ready to change in the next few weeks. Um, there are women who are, you know, in need of these services now. And if we can raise money now, we can make a difference for those women in an impactful way. And, and the time is just so damned urgent. It's just so, just so pressing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to do an, another multi-hour fundraiser event. Who who all is involved with it? So this time we are going to have, of course, the most important guests will be the people who are going to donate. The other people, though, <laughs> the other people that are going to be joining us, though, are going to be uh, the Scathing Atheist. I'm sure you, you know that show because you're listening to it right now. Opening arguments will be their knowledge fight. And then we're also going to kick off by talking to an abortion doctor in Texas. We're talking to Jessica, Dr. Jessica. She's been on our show before. We had a very wonderful interview with her that a lot of people really learned a lot about SB8, which is now wistful. We wistfully look at SB8 as like, wow, if we only had that. Wow. Yeah. How quickly it changed. All right. So who exactly are, are we raising funds for? So we're actually going to be splitting our donations among three charities. So we're going to be donating to Lilith Fund. They provide abortion care in Texas. We're going to be splitting funds to the Access Reproductive Care Southeast. They serve Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Tennessee. And then the Midwest Access Coalition serves those in the Midwest. They provide logistical support such as transport, lodging, medicine, emotional support, etc. across the Midwest. 
you know, here in where Cecil and I, we're Chicago, we're in Illinois. And Illinois, if you look at the map, we are a fucking island yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah. The floor is lava. Absolutely. The, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the Midwest, the Southeast, Texas, we really wanted to, to find organizations that were really regional, that were really focused, and where that those monies go directly to the service and care of women. Awesome. All right. So quick, give us the uh, where, what, when for the listeners that want to get involved. So we're going to be going live 7 Central on a Friday night. We're going to be starting the show with Jessica and then we're going to we're going to bring on Knowledge Fight. They're going to be on for about 45 minutes. We're going to talk to opening arguments for a little while and then we're going to close the show. The best we save the best for last scathing atheist is going to join us for the last bit. And we are going we the whole time donations will be open. We're going to be just having fun, hanging out, trying to raise money for a good three and a half hours. Awesome. And you can find all that at our YouTube page, at our Twitch, and at our Facebook. The links, I'm sure Noah will link in the show notes. Absolutely, yeah. And if, if there's one thing I know about our audience is that they step up in moments like this. Now, of course, obviously, there are going to be some listeners that want to help but can't afford to donate. How else could somebody help the fundraiser if they can't donate? Yeah, so the uh, best way to help, best way to jump in, you know, share the link with your friends. Get a, get the word out. Send it out to as many people as you can. Get that live stream packed so people will come, people will donate. You know, last time when we did this for the Senate, there was an immense outpouring. And it was specifically because there's the, the Republicans in this country, the Christian right in this country have been imposing their will on the voters, on the, on the majority of people yep. in this country. And so that's why they came out for the Save the Senate. That's why they should come out for this. And, you know, definitely send the link out to your friends and have them come and join us. And hopefully they'll donate. And what hour should they attend? <laughs> Noah? Yeah, Noah. What hour should what they What hour go? do you think you'd want them to attend? I mean, honestly, like, because you're doing like a 45, just like, I don't remember exactly when we're coming. So oh, 9.30. Just any time. 9.30. Okay, 9.30 would be ideal. You know, it's always best to make that rock star entrance, 9.45, something like that. But yeah, whenever you can, though, obviously. Guys, thanks so much for all, all the work that you've done putting this together. Thanks for inviting us to be a part of it. Again, Friday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. Check our Facebook page or our Twitter feed or the show notes for this episode. And Tom Cecil, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. No, I just want to say every single time there's a chance for you guys to help, you guys always jump in. That's why we're the first yeah. to turn to you every time. So thank you yep. so much for coming along. Oh, thanks. Before we ring out the towel tonight, I want to thank the organizers and attendees of last weekend's Gulf Coast Secular Assembly. Thanks to Buzz and Muffy for all their help, Roger for a much appreciated and well-timed gift, and most especially Devin for going above and beyond the call of duty. I really owe you one. Anyway, that's all the blessing we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Monday, and an even newer episode of our sister show's Hot Friend God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and an even newer episode of our half-sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this would be a paragraph shy of a real show if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for being the light of my life, Eli Bosnia for being the apple of my eye, and Lucinda Lusions for being the cream of my coffee. I know Lucinda should be one of the other two, but I am not letting Heath or Eli cream in my coffee. I also want to thank the inimitable Andrew Torres for helping us out tonight. I also want to thank Tom and Cecil for everything that they're doing. I also want to thank Brian from West Virginia for providing this week's Farnsworth quote. He said it back in March, but it turns out that apologies for Joe Manchin are perpetually apropos. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's best people. C. Owens, Joshua, Chris, MK, Bloodbucket, Martin, Dean, Maya, Tim, Darth Waffle, Cody, Dougal, Jordan. And it's not incest porn. It's 
See Joshua, Chris, MK, and Bloodbucket, who are so bright, high-intensity discharge headlights complain about it. Martin, Dean, Maya, Tim, and Darth Waffle, whose IQs are higher than Eli on edibles. And Cody, Dougal, Jordan, and Not Incest Porn, who are so hot, sexy step-siblings masturbate to videos of them. And Martin, Dean, I know that you don't know each other and can't possibly coordinate this, but it would have been way cooler if you guys had swapped places in the chronological Patreon order, okay? Try harder next time. Together, these 14 fabulous free thinkers forked over a fragment of their fortune to forestall our fall this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the kind of money it takes to give some to us, but if you're into that kind of thing, you can make a per-episode donation to patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but you're chained to the bottom of the sea by the powers of the ancient ones, don't worry, your day to arise draws near. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robertson handles our social media and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingadius.com. Ah, nope, too high. I was too high. It was really, okay. it was shrill. It was shrill. It was a little shrill. Sorry. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.